The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. Welcome, football fans, to this NBC Sports Radio and NBCSN remote broadcast event. We are on the road at the NFL Scouting Combine, live from Indianapolis. It's Pro Football Talk Live. Let's do this, Florio. It's not, though. Oh, hey, here we are. It's a Wednesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio, NBCSN. Hello to our good friends in the UK and in Ireland joining the program on Sky Sports. There's a rock concert going on on the other side of the curtain, separating us from the rest of the Indiana Convention Center. It's awfully early in the morning for that. It's awfully early in the morning for you, although, I don't know, yesterday may have never ended. Did you sleep last night as you struggled through this stomach flu? I I struggled through it. I did. I woke up at like 1.30, and I was like, man, my stomach doesn't feel right. And about 20 minutes later, the onslaught came. So, uh... I am. I'm fighting through this right now, and I'm I'm so thirsty. Holy crap, am I thirsty? I want to just jump in a nice, but I can't drink it because I'm afraid it's going to come up. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's how it works. Yes. All right. So, uh, Chris Sims, powering through Wednesday. The good news is we've got. Vitamin oh, we have a concoction orange, over there. He's got an emergency going right now. We, we, we got it going we, on. We've got plenty of interviews from yesterday that we can play if we need to to get us through the next four hours. There'll be. Plenty of guys speaking at the podium. We had Joe Burrow for an extended session yesterday from the podium regarding the uh, the situation that has emerged in the past several weeks. And, you know, I, 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 I got to move on from this quickly. I still, folks, just because the guy says he'll submit to the process, if the Bengals pick him, he'll go to Cincinnati and play, that doesn't mean he wants to. No, it that does not doesn't mean, that. mean he You're wants right. to. You're right. The fact that you, like, I, when, when it's time to cut the grass, I don't want to do it. I have to do it. I have no choice. I don't want to do it. There are other things I'd rather sure. do. And it amazes me that there are people in the media who supposedly should know better who take him saying, I won't refuse to go, as meaning, 
I want to go. There's a gap between those two propositions. Huge, huge gap. You're exactly right. I mean, just because he'll say he'll play for that team. Yeah, you're right, Mike. I mean, I heard you say it on radio before. You know, if Joe Burrow could pick his team, do we really sit here and honestly think he'll pick the Cincinnati Bengals? Yeah. Absolutely not. There's no way. And, and we've uh, had this argument before. I think that's the way it should be. I know you do. I, it's that way. You know, you got to pick Tennessee before you picked Texas, right? Well, yes, I did. And uh, you wish yes. you picked Ohio State. Right, I You had the flexibility. I did. You're right. I wish all of those, all yeah. of the above. But, yes, it also, though, it is. It's different. And this, it is a tradition of the NFL, the way we have it mapped out. And we do have a very competitive league that way. And it is compet- it makes it more competitive that the worst team gets the first pick of the draft. It doesn't, though. It doesn't work. It doesn't make bad teams any better. Well, it, what bad team has found a Super Bowl champion quarterback with the first pick in the draft? Other than uh, here, right here, Indianapolis Colts, Peyton Manning. Okay. Other than him. That was 21 years ago. Name one in the past 40 years. Well, first overall pick it became whose team became a Super Bowl champion. Oh, okay. The Super Bowl champion. Okay. Yeah, well, that's a different story. I mean, well, I mean, Troy Aikman, right? He was the first okay, overall pick. Okay, that was 30 years count? ago. Okay. Yeah, that counts. Yes. I mean. All right, there's two. Know, there's more than two that. Two in 40 years. All right. I mean, you know, again, but you're right. Okay, that's all right. It's the first pick. I understand that, but it doesn't mean those people haven't had successful careers either. Well, right, but and it, but it, it doesn't mean that a bad team gets turned around. Look, right. look at look. Here's the th- and here's why it happens this way. Because the bad teams earn the first picks, they're bad teams for a variety of reasons. Right. They just didn't have bad luck one year. Yeah, no. They're a bad organization. They are. So when a lot you give them the first pick, they make a bad decision about what to do with the first pick. Or they and mess up on how to support. To yes, exactly right. That's the issue more yeah. than anything. You're right. It's the support system around that first pick and the dysfunction in that organization that – you know, never, you know, flowers up to what you're talking about. Super Bowl championships for the number one pick. One thing that has helped teams who hold the first overall pick avoid the overall financial damage that that does when you get it wrong is the 2011 CBA with the rookie wage scale that reeled in the amount of money that a Jamarcus Russell or another bust gets at the top of the draft. And that leads to where we are right now. The new CBA is moving closer and closer to being adopted. What you need to know begins with the meeting that happened last night between the NFL and the NFLPA. They met for roughly four hours. And then the NFLPA had a meeting of its full board of player representatives, 32 members. And as Georgia Tala, the NFLPA spokesman, tweeted at 105 a.m. Eastern time, the board voted to send the proposed collective bargaining agreement to the membership for a vote. Now, I'm told... There's not going to be a recommendation from the board. It was not a two-thirds supermajority. The vote, I'm told, was 17 yes, 14 no, one abstention. They got just enough votes to push this thing through because the union announced on Monday to all agents and players that a majority of the board needed to vote yes or they wouldn't send it to the full union. Right. 17 votes, the magic number. They're going to send it to the full union. If at least half plus one of 1,900 dues-paying members of the union say yes, there's a new CBA. And the belief is they will, and this will get wrapped up, and we'll start the new league year on March 18 with a higher salary cap and a promise of 17 games at some point between 2021 and 2023. So to you, what what is the big selling point to the players that – you know, I don't want to say we had a drastic change, but of course we had the first vote of last week that went to six five. You know, no. Now, that was the executive committee. That was. Said, I know. I the, read. the group so, that negotiated the deal said no six to five, which right. still makes no sense. It still makes no sense. Exactly right. Now, 
with this, what, what, what do you think the players, their big fear is? Just the, all the things that you've mentioned, the fact that we're worried about dropping ratings, election year, economy drop, all those things, and the players are realizing that, and they just want to strike now, and like DeMaurice Smith is kind of pushing this? Well, DeMora Smith has been behind the idea of this CBA proposal from the get-go. He presided over the negotiations. There's a term sheet. I'm told he signed off on it, which isn't binding, but at least it, it sends a message to the rest of the union that the guy you hired to run the union wants this deal so if he wants it like this is very simple if he recommends this deal and you don't want it they either need a new executive director or he needs a new client yeah because it's not working right it's not happening if the people he serves don't want to take his advice and at some point he has to say i'm out or they have to say you're out but as of right now they're following his advice. They've understood. I don't know what happened yesterday between the NFL and the NFLPA. Yeah, right. I haven't seen anything to suggest that any significant concessions were made by the NFL. It could just be that some very persuasive gentlemen in the room, Jerry Jones, et cetera, and maybe they had a PowerPoint presentation where they showed the players, here's what happens if we delay this process of getting a deal done and moving toward new TV deals. Here's what will happen with the ratings in 2020, and here's what will happen with the willingness of the networks to give us big money if we're operating from a position of weakness, not a position of strength like we are now. Right. And here are the economic forecasts over the next year and a half, and the economy is going to have a downturn. And the, the Dow's down 2,000 points over the last two days. Things can change quickly. I, I don't know how much of that fear was used to get the players to pivot to it. But the way DeMore Smith has always considered this, there's two deals, the deal with the league and the deal with the networks. And you combine them. And in his mind, it's better to combine them now than to combine them later, right. period. And, and that's where it all comes from. And whatever was said barely worked. 17, the magic number from the board of player representatives said yes. So, you know, it, it, mission accomplished, and now it goes on to the full membership. Well, I mean, listen, I fully expected that the owners were going to win this negotiation. I just don't want it to be a slaughter fest. That's the only thing I ever worry about as a player. I mean, this is their domain, this this conversation. Uh, but, but at the same time, I am happy that it's going in the right direction, selfishly as a fan, you know, selfishly because of our job. And, hey, of course, the NFL, yeah, it's on fire right now. We talk about it a lot. It's king. It's king of TV. It's king of all our sports in this country and why not keep keep that rolling while we got a hot hand here so from that point that standpoint i am happy about it i know there's going to be a lot of things in the agreement that i'm not going to be necessarily pleased with well and once we dig into the nooks and crannies we'll see what's in there that is and isn't favorable to the players but the bottom line is this the owners do own the league and there is no football without the players but you know, when we get down to basic concepts of strikes and replacement players and supply versus demand, there are a lot more players who can slap on that uniform, right? Yes. And that we saw that in 1987, and I think that's the fundamental leverage. And there are other ways the players can exert leverage. And look, it's not going to come to that. The good news is we're not going yeah, to. Yeah, we don't have to that. deal with that. We had to deal with it in 2011. We don't have to deal with it now. And, and you didn't have to deal with it then because you weren't in the media. No, you were no. locked in a closet in Foxborough. I was. I wasn't even there yet. I was actually just still like. You were still playing. I was like out of the league on getting some calls from maybe some teams thinking I might have, a, you know, one more chance, one more year or whatever it may be. 
Uh, but yeah, that, that did not happen. And so I was not involved in that, in that process at all. Yes, I was just sitting at home observing, basically. So if this vote proceeds and succeeds, the new league year will begin as scheduled on March the 18th. And one of the biggest names out there, the biggest name in free agency, hashtag Tommy, Tom Brady. Uh, we don't know where he's going to go. Right. He may stay with the Patriots. Yeah. He may go elsewhere. The more I think about it, the more I think someone is going to make him a gigantic offer from a business perspective, not a football perspective. And the Patriots will say, we just can't do it. Right. The Dolphins, I, the Dolphins are being coy in a strange sort of way. Stephen Ross, the owner of the team, said several weeks ago he doesn't know why Tom Brady would want to come to Miami because the Dolphins are rebuilding. Brian Flores, who was with Brady for years in New England, now the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, he said, I agree with Stephen Ross as far as why would Brady want to come to Miami. I do. I'll leave it at that. I do agree with Steve. And uh, yeah, why would he want to? Now, that doesn't mean they don't want him, right? No. That And look, this is the flip side of Joe Burrow. Here's a guy who can pick wherever he wants to go. Right. And the Dolphins are being very self-aware, being very realistic. Hey, this guy gets to pick any team in the league. Why would he pick us? Now, if he does, that's a different proposition, right? Now, we don't expect, why would he want to come here? Oh, he doesn't want to come here. Oh, yeah, no. Oh, wait, he does? Well, that, well that changes everything. Yes, but that's not going to necessarily send warm signals to Tom Brady and his camp by saying these things that the owner and no, Brian Flores I, have I, said. I, I, that, what, what hey, they Tom, say, we're rebuilding. Yeah. You know, come on down here. You know, that's where I guess I just I, – I challenge that a little. But if Tom reaches out to them and says, you know, I, I believe in you. Right. I want to be in Miami. I want you to make me an offer. I want you to be interested in me. I'm telling you. I want to come there. I'm telling you, I believe we can turn it around. I'm telling you, I've seen this team, and I see how it's developing, and I think it could be competitive within the next three years. I'm not looking for a place where I win a Super Bowl today, this year, right away. Then, then uh, that, that could change their thinking. I, I just think that there is an opening there sure. for the Dolphins to say, well, if he does want to come here, I mean, really, yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick, yeah, Tom Brady, who are you taking between the two? Yeah, I'm taking Tom Brady. I know that. No, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I, I guess the other thing that I would just would throw into that is just, you know, hey, I don't think Tom Brady wants to be a part of something like that. I mean, we're talking about the GOAT here. We're talking about nine Super Bowl appearances, six championships. I just think he's going to go somewhere where he feels like, yeah, maybe they don't win the Super Bowl the first year, but they're very competitive, maybe in the conversation. And I don't know how he's going to look at Miami's roster right now and feel like they're quite there yet. You know, I think this is going to be one of those things tactically, like we saw Peyton Manning with the Denver Broncos, where, you know, yeah, he picked Denver because he said, man, after evaluating that team, okay, I like the coach and everything, but wow, they got some young studs on this team, and this has a chance to be something special here, and that's why he picked it. And I think ultimately Brady's going to pick a team like that, where okay, he who? feels, who? I, yeah, I don't who? know. You know, I, I don't know those answers. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, I, I get you. Look, the Raiders it, are, yeah, you know, a team that are ascending in a positive direction. They play I get the Chiefs that. twice a year. I can't. With Tom Brady, they're not getting past the Chiefs so, and winning that division. The path to the Super Bowl is get yourself on a good team in a bad division, run the table, force the road to the Super Bowl through your stadium. That's how, that's how they've mastered it in New England. Right, I get Best that. Best team in a bad division. That's why you should sign with the Cowboys. Well, that, that, I, like, from that standpoint, it makes sense from all the other things you're arguing, except that Dak Prescott's better than Tom Brady, and I wouldn't want to do that other than the Cowboys. But, like, hey, I mean, you know, uh, you know, okay, like let's just say a team like the Bears, which I don't think are going to be interested, but that is like that would make sense theoretically, all right? You know, we've talked about the Oakland Raiders, the Colts, you know, just from what you're talking about makes sense. You know, even when you were in Crazyville with the 49ers conversation, like 
like from Tom Brady's aspect, that does make sense to go to that type of team. I don't know. I don't think they're going to ever get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo and make that that kind of change. But like, I just don't think Brady's going to go somewhere and go. I'm going to waste a year to rebuild at 43 or be a part of a team that I'm not sure about. I think he's going to go somewhere where he's positioned himself to where he really believes it has a chance to be success. And maybe that's Tampa Bay, too. Tampa Bay could be that team. There's a lot of things right there. We look at we talk, heard Bruce Arians yesterday. That defense is special. They got special weapons on the offensive side of the ball at receiver. That could be one that if he's willing to go down to Tampa and live there, that that would uh, make sense. There was, back in 2012, a belief that the one team that Peyton Manning was interested in that wasn't interested in him was the Houston Texans. They were fine with Matt Schaub. Thank you very much. How'd that work out for them? I'm going to be curious to see if we hear that there are teams that that Tom Brady was interested in joining that said, we're not interested, Tom, whether it's the 49ers, whether it's the Bears, whether it's the Cowboys. That's going to be an interesting tweak to all this, and it's a slap in the face for Brady, so I don't know how much he's going to want that out there. But you never know. If he plays really well somewhere and that team does really well, that's the point where, hey, Don, go ahead and let it be known that the 49ers said no thanks and that the Cowboys said no thanks and the other teams said no thanks. And we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk more about quarterback situations in the National Football League during the offseason when Pro Football Talk Live continues right after this. They all want to get drafted, but not all of them will. We're back live at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. It's Pro Football Talk Live with Mike Florio. On Tuesday afternoon, we had a conversation here at the Scouting Combine with Vikings longtime general manager Rick Spielman. Some decisions need to be made this offseason. Salary cap issues. Kirk Cousins entering the final year of his contract. Here is a snippet of some of the things that Chris Sims and I discussed yesterday with Rick Spielman. Kirk Cousins. I mean, that's the that's the guy that we always talk about. Kirk Cousins, <laughs> or he likes you to say talk Kurt about. Kurt or Kirk? Kirk. I said right. Kirk. I'm always respectful. It's but, with a K at the but, end. Uh, yeah, but but talk about his year. Just what it did for him, the organization, everything around it. I think when you see from year one, and then when Kubiak and Stefanski took over and did things that he does well, and it's establishing the run game, this right. outside zone, uh, the play action. I think when he is kept clean in the pocket and he has time. He is one of the most accurate quarterbacks throwing in this yeah, league. Definitely. Now at all levels, at the short level, at the intermediate level, and, and even downfield right. at the deep level. I think, you know, the biggest knock on him a lot was can he win in big games? Yeah. And I think you've seen for the first time this year to go into Dallas and, and win on primetime game on the road. They stunk. Um, it wasn't a big game. They were 8-8. Eight eight. <laughs> the Saints game was huge, though. But I, you got to even just take the Denver game. Okay, we're down 20 to nothing yeah. at halftime. Right. And because of the way Kirk Cousins played, uh, he brought us back. I think he threw three touchdowns uh, to bring us back in the second half. Well, I don't know if we would have been able to do that in the right. past. So you see the progress that he's made. You have a, a Gary Kubiak, a coach that, that, that truly believes in his abilities and what he can do with this guy. Uh, and I think it's only going to be getting, going up from there because right now at his age, they're right in the prime of their career. And I still think there's going to be huge improvements, and you see him take the next step next year. Here's my assessment of how I think he needs to take the next step. 
And I don't know that it can be Feel done. free to block your <laughs> ears at any point, okay? Yeah. No, Whenever no, you no, want. I want to be serious. I want to be serious okay. about this, and I want to be straight with you about it. I think that when the walls close in, the play falls apart, that he doesn't have the mobility to get away from the pass rush, right? And I don't know what you can do in an offseason to make a guy better adept to, to escape and extend a play, but I, is that that's not an unfair criticism? No, it, but you're what, what you're, you're you have to understand what his strengths are. Now, if we want to go to a scramble quarterback that is not as accurate, that may not fit the system as well, then is that what you're saying? But I think if we do some things to maybe improve even up front, some of the things that we're doing up front and some of the personnel, I think we have two really good young cornerstone offensive linemen, and we'll continue to to build that area and to get him on the boots in the play action. There's a lot of very good quarterbacks in this league uh, that, that, that don't have the ability to make plays on their feet. And a lot of them guys are going to be in the Hall of Fame at, at one time. Are you going to try to extend his contract, or are you going to let him play out the final year? Of the you know, we we went through all of our meetings. Uh, I'll never talk about the business perspective of because we have a lot of tough decisions to make on a lot of our roster. Um, some of our guys are getting older. Um, we have a lot of, you know, unrestricted free agents that we'd love to keep. Last one. It's not a question. It's a request. Oh, gosh. In Here honor go. of the seven-year anniversary of the Percy Harvin trade, I want you to look into the camera and say we have no intent to trade Stephon Diggs. Will you do that for me? <laughs> Stephon Diggs is a Minnesota Viking. All right. That's, why. that's good. That, that meant absolutely nothing. No, he is today. May not be tomorrow, but that's all right. Some fun with Rick Spielman, who was a good sport about the Percy Harvin comment from 2013 when he said we have no intent to trade Percy Harvin, and then they traded him to the Seattle Seahawks. Some contracts for the Vikings that are expiring this year, including Spielman's, including Coach Mike Zimmer, including running back Dalvin Cook, and most importantly, quarterback Kirk Cousins. What do you do with these guys? What do you do with Cousins and a $31 million cap charge for 2020? Do you try to extend it and reduce his cap number and have more cap dollars that can be devoted to other players? Or do you let him play out the final year of his contract and have maximum flexibility for 2021? There's an argument to be made that none of these guys should get new contracts, that the Wolves should say, look, this is the ultimate incentive. Here is the carrot Come and get it. And if we have a special season, then it will be a good problem to have that Spielman and Wilf and Cook and Cousins and others will deserve a financial reward that goes along with it. We'll see how it plays out this year for the Minnesota Vikings. And we'll be continuing with more coverage from the 2020 Scouting Combine in Indianapolis when PFT Live continues right after this. Back covering the most intense four day job interview of all time. It's Pro Football Talk Live at the 2020 NFL Scouting Combine. Let's see who Florio likes. Our the 2020 Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. Joining us now, the brand new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. He is Matt Rule. And I say brand new, it's been several weeks. It probably already seems like you've been on the job for a long time. It does. It, feel, it, it, it really feels like years, and, uh, <laughs> but in a good way. You know, um, we've just gotten a lot done. And, uh, you know, you take one of these jobs, you show up, and you're excited, and, and then it's just 
kind of get to work and start just slowly, methodically making sure you're ready. So I, I think we've made a lot of progress so far. Where, where does it start? Like, just kind of take us through the first week of the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. How do you kind of digest it and go through it all? I think there's really two things. You want to make sure you get to the key players right. um, and, and introduce yourself. And, you know, because anytime you have a new coach, there's going to be a little bit of like, hey, what's this about? Who's this guy going to be? Um, and then hiring a staff. Right. And um, as you know, in the NFL level, guys are under contract. Or it's, it's really a process to navigate. So trying to make sure that, you know, you're there and, and present for the players on the team. You know, if they call you, reach out to you, or if you can reach out to them. And then hiring a really good staff as well. Right. What surprised you the most so far about this job? Um, you know, I think as a college coach, I dealt so much of my day was dealt was, was you know, so and so missed class, so and so was five minutes late, and so you show up and there's really no players there. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's what I love. I love being around players. I think great coaches make their you know help their players play better. And so, um, the, there's few chances I have to be around our guys when they come in for treatment. Or I've really enjoyed that. So I, I'm really looking forward to the off season and you know the, the voluntary phases of the guys working out, so I can just kind of be around and be a coach because that's what I love to do. Yeah, all that's right. the most positive yeah. possible spin that I've ever heard a coach put on the limited access to players in the offseason. Sean Gruden two years ago when he got back in the game and the rules had changed. It was borderline profanity after profanity <laughs> about not having access. But, but he's that, coming that's a from good college. Way to put it. Well, right. coming he's coming from college where it's even less, yeah. le- less access right. to yeah. coaching guys. So, yeah, I get it. You probably feel like, wow, I can really coach here. Yeah. Um, once they're allowed to show up. Yeah, yeah. once they're allowed yeah, to show right. Um, all right, let's just get to right to it. I mean, you know, I know you're going to answer this question nine million times, but Cam Newton, you know, I mean, I know you're not guaranteeing he's a starter if healthy or whatever that may be. How much tape have you watched? Do you watch, you know, for you to get a good feel for where he's at in his career? Yeah, I mean, I've watched uh, not just for him, but for the entire team. I've watched the offense, defense, special teams going all the way back to like 2015, you know, 2016. I, and I think that's really important just to see, like, what does it mean when, you know, when Carolina has won? What is, how, how do they win? What is, what is the atmosphere like? You right. Know, just in every way. So, um, but I, I guess the big thing for me is, I man, I'm really excited to coach Cam Newton. Yeah. Like, you know, I, just getting to know him, being around him, seeing the way that he's rehabbing, the way he's taking this seriously um i think i think if he does this right and we do this right and his best football is ahead of him and so um you know i I didn't know him before coming there and i've i've really enjoyed my interactions with him and so you know i have a job to do and it's not to start talking about like six months from now it's about right now making sure that we get cam healthy for this fall because if he's healthy there's really no questions about who he is or what he can do so just making sure that that's really our focus right now getting that in place but i I felt like coming here i wanted to make sure people knew like i i really want to coach this guy i really like this guy and um i I really like the way he's approaching his rehab and the way he's doing things anything just real quick like specifically like on film when you watch cam maybe that you did or didn't know or something he does better than you expected well i think um um, I think two things I'd say. Number yeah. one, off the field, because when you talk to the other players, like there, there's such a deep, deep, deep respect for him in the locker room for the, what he does in between the white lines and the way he'll play no matter what. Right. And then I, I think you go back and look at him on third down, you look at the ability for him to throw the ball. You know, even last year, playing on a hurt foot, he, he's thrown 18-yard comebacks right. to the right sideline. So uh, he, coming off that shoulder, he, he's still he's still got the arm. Right. And so to me, it's a matter of us putting in a new system. It's going to be a little bit different for him. But I think uh, whether it's him or Will or Kyle or anybody else, I think it's a really good quarterback friendly system right at your introductory press conference owner David Tepper was asked about Cam Newton and he pivoted to this concept of the importance of buying in and obviously it's critical for your starting quarterback to buy in how hard is it to sell him on sticking around and buying in when he's had one head coach his entire NFL career feels like everything around him is changing what kind of a challenge is that and how how much have you been allowed to talk to him about that to kind of get a feel for whether or not he is all in with what you're trying to do. Yeah, I haven't really had to talk about that. I mean, um, 
I, I think, I think, uh, and really for the, with all the players. I mean, I, I think for me, I have to come in and just say, hey, this is what we're going to do, and just start moving forward. And and um, I haven't sensed any of that. I think a lot of guys are excited about what we're going to do. I think you know, obviously, some of them have been here for for many years are proud of what they've done. But you know, we all understand things change, and it's a, it's a new year. And so, I don't care if you won the Super Bowl last year or if you or if you lost last year and had a tough year. It's all about you know the, the next season. And yeah. so, I think guys are excited about what we're doing downstairs. You know, in the weight room, training room, some of the sports science things we're bringing in, and um, you know. That's really that to me. That's the buy-in. It shows. It'll show up in the off-season. It'll show up in training camp and in the season. And um, I have no reason to doubt the guys won't won't be bought into what we're doing. Is there any coaches? You know, you've been around the NFL and, of course, made a name for yourself in college. Any coaches you've sought advice from here throughout this process that you've talked to to kind of take on this this new challenge for you? Yeah, you know, I'm, I, Tom Coughlin, right off the bat, you know, right. Dick Vermeil uh, was someone who reached out to me right away, even in the early process, talking to uh, uh, Coach Parcells, you know, so, yeah, so some of those right. legendary great coaches who who have always been gracious with their time for me. And and, and after that, really, I mean, you know, I saw Andy Reid this morning, know who I've known a long time, saw Bruce Arians, who we were both Temple coaches, and right. and I think all those guys have been really supportive. Um, Sean Payton, when I've had questions, I've called Sean, like, we're in the same, you know, same division, and he, so I think there's kind of a, a, a really good uh, brotherhood of coaches that are out there, and guys have been really good to me. You've got some experience coaching in the NFL with the Giants as an offensive line coach, more experience in college. But is there a fundamental difference between college and pro players from the standpoint of how you communicate with them, how you get them to respond, how you get them to do the things that you need them to do to buy into win? Yeah, I think it's different for every coach. You know, I think if, if you're a yeller and a screamer all the time, that you know, I, I, I always try to think of everything, whether I'm in college or the pros, is it's not about players and coaches, it's just about people. And so everyone has different things that they're going through. Everyone has different issues. And so, um, you know, when you're coaching in college, people sometimes forget that you have 125 players. Right. So 125 guys with hopes and dreams. And, you know, if they have a bad year, they're still coming back the next year. Um, you know, they all have the same scholarship. And so that's that's one set of things. You come to the NFL level, you know, you have, you know, a 53-man roster, you know, so it's cut down in half. And some guys are at the end of their career. They just want to hold on for a little bit longer. Some guys are just getting started. So I just think when you identify it as what's my job as a coach, my job is to make sure that I'm helping my players play better. If we really do that and we're just not saying that I, I always felt like players respond to coaches who help them play better and so um, we're going to try to do that at this level you know when I was an assistant I thought it worked I've got a bunch of really good teachers and coaches with not a lot of egos and I, I think our staff will will really have a lot of buy-in from the players in terms of how we do stuff yeah uh, I mean you, you made a name for yourself because of your team building I mean you took over a, a tough spot in Temple and made them relevant and Baylor I thought like oh they're done forever mm. when our priles and the scandal hit and you save them and all of a sudden I'm going what they're in the Big 12 championship game this year what is the difference between building a winner in college and, and then the NFL, in your opinion? Or, or if there is a difference, or an easier, or harder, whatever it may well, be. I, I think, you know, obviously in college, you, you do it through recruiting and yeah. through development. Right. I think here there's there's such a different, you know, when, when it comes to free agency and the draft. So it's a different means to the same end. Yeah. But, you know, I think the good thing for me is because I've been a part of both of those. I mean, I did a lot of good things. When I say I, I mean my staff. We, got we did a lot yeah. of good things, right. and we did a lot of things that I wouldn't do again. I was a much better head coach at Baylor than I was at right. Temple. And right. so as I come into this new challenge, I have a lot of experience to, to pull from that I say, hey, this worked, this didn't work. And I've told guys all along the way, I don't sit here and pretend like I have it all figured out. You know, I'm going to make mistakes as a head coach. But I think the thing that I, I just never want it to be about me, and I hope players respond to that. And we have a good nucleus of veteran players in Carolina who who I think are going to be great to work with and help me as I transition. You've got one of the best offensive weapons in football in Christian McCaffrey. What should we expect as fans of the game from him this year? Is your philosophy going to be let's just let use him till the wheels come off, or are you going to be 
be a little more cautious. He's getting into the fourth year of his career, and at some point there's only so many hits you can take before the wheels do come off. Just give us a sense of what that 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 approach will be to using a guy who was uh, what, the third member of the thousand yard rushing, thousand yard receiving club. Well, I think he, you know Christian's a dynamic player, and I, you know, I don't think there's many people in football who take care of themselves as way as Christian as, as well as Christian does. I mean, he goes above and beyond in the season, out of season, to make sure that he's healthy and can keep answering the bell. And so I, I'm excited about those things. I think you know we want to continue to expound upon all the skill sets that he has. I mean, there's not many guys who can line up and you know run I formation power, run zone read, and then oh by the way then go out in the slot. And yeah, right, and so right. I think when you know we hired Joe Brady, we hired a really good offensive staff of guys that are creative, and um, without giving probably too much away, we'd like to do a lot of different things with Christian to 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 allow him to just be as dynamic as possible and get him in the open field. And also, you know, we have Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore, and we have a, a plethora of backs that we feel really good about who haven't played a ton, but we feel good about. So I think we're going to try to open the whole thing up and use everybody. Um, do you feel like you have an advantage, you know, compared to some of these coaches? Because you've been in college, like you've seen some of these kids in person. Is, is, do you feel that way, or am I wrong to think that? Well, I think I have a lot of history with a lot of these yeah, guys. Okay. You know, I think, right. um, I think, you know, like I said, there's ten guys here that, you know, four that I coached at Temple, six yeah. that I coached at Baylor. So I maybe some insight on those guys. But then a lot of guys I played against. Yeah, you know, walking right. down the hallways, and I, you know, I see Ceedee Lamb or Jalen Rager. I mean, I've seen those guys up close and personal. Right. So I think I have a feel for them. And then, you know, as I go around college, you know, pro days and stuff like, there's a lot of guys on those staffs who I know who I've worked with so I think I have a good feel for that but you know that 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 advantage is only if you if you use you it the properly you take, right. you take advantage right. of it so <laughs> right. but I think um, you know we're always going to try to gain, gain as much information as possible and hopefully we come in with a little bit from coming from college yeah free agency is going to be the closest thing to college recruiting it starts within a few weeks what, what is your role what is your voice in the process of deciding which players to go out and pursue in free agency I you know I Marty Herney's still the GM, but it's still this new era, this new regime. And and how does how does your voice fit into that process of selecting who will be well, I think new Marty, Panthers? Yeah, I think Marty would tell you that you know every great GM, you know they they, they build a team, but they don't want to bring a they don't want to bring a coach a player he doesn't want to coach. And so, you know what we've tried to do is we sat there and the, and the scouting staff has taught the coaches, hey, this is our process. But then the coaches have sat there with the staff and the scouting staff and said, hey, this is what we're looking for in a quarterback, and this is what we're looking for in a three technique, and showing them on video and showing them examples because what we're trying to do is take all these different people and align them so we see things the same way and so um, I think that that's really going to be an advantage for us you know when you're a college coach you, you do a lot of personnel you do a lot of evaluations you do a lot of projections and so I come by that naturally. Now to have a guy with Marty's experience, um, he, all he wants to do is put a winner on the field, and all Marty wants to do is make sure that we have players that we want to coach. And so I, it's been an unbelievable relationship so far. And so I think that extends into free agency. You know, um, the one difference between college and pro is it, they're not all the same scholarship. Guys yeah. get different amounts of money. So right. for us, it's about us finding guys with the traits that we want that makes sense for us, you know, for this year and beyond. Right? We've done great things as a coach. It's going to be fun to see how it all plays out for the Carolina Panthers starting this September. Coach, thanks for your time. Congratulations and all the best moving forward. I appreciate forward. you guys. Thank Good you. Luck. Thanks, bud. Over 300 of the very best college football players have been invited to the NFL Scouting Combine. Let's see who Florio likes. This is Pro Football Talk Live in Indianapolis. Here's Mike. The Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. The workouts will happen right there at Lucas Oil Stadium beginning on Thursday night. A lot happening here at the Indianapolis Convention Center. 
A lot was happening on Tuesday when various coaches and general managers took to the podium. We're going to share with you some of the things that the folks had to say. We're going to start with the 49ers quarterback situation. Kyle Shanahan, head coach of the team, took the team to the Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo took the team to the Super Bowl and nearly won it. Here is Shanahan from Tuesday talking about the future of Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. I think Jimmy deserves a ton of credit for for what he did this year. I think people talk a little bit about how he was coming off an ACL, but I I also think that people don't realize that was his first year playing quarterback in this league. Um, You know, he I think he got three games with New England and he got five games with us. Um, This is his first time going through a full season. You know, he had less games than Baker Mayfield going into his second year. And um, to do that with the pressure of also to me, everyone thinking you've already arrived and coming off an ACL. I thought there was as much pressure on him at the beginning of the year as anyone I've been around. And he just took it, handled it all year, and got better throughout the year and um, was very impressed with him. And look, there never was a serious question in the aftermath of the Super Bowl that the 49ers would not keep Jimmy Garoppolo. It would be pretty pretty interesting, though, if Tom Brady were to give the 49ers a phone call at some point over the next month or so and express an interest in playing for the team. But the 49ers do indeed seem to be all in with Jimmy Garoppolo. GM John Lynch echoed that sentiment as well on Tuesday, there was another team that used to be in the Bay Area. They are now the Las Vegas Raiders. They are far less settled at the quarterback position. It wasn't that long ago that Derek Carr became the highest paid player in NFL history and then one quarterback after another leapfrogged him. And now the question is, will a quarterback be leapfrogging him on the Las Vegas Raiders depth chart and will Carr ultimately be exiting the team all together. Mike Mayock, the GM of the Raiders, first lit this fuse last year when explaining the reasoning for taking a closer look at incoming rookies like Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins. Mayock revisiting the topic again of Derek Carr's future with the Raiders and that never-ending quest of trying to find an upgrade at every position, including quarterback. Here's Mike Mayock from Tuesday. Derek Carr played at a high level. I'm very happy with Derek Carr. What I've told everybody I've been in touch with since the day I took this job is we're going to evaluate every position every year. And if we can get better, we will. And I guys get tired of me saying that, but that's really what I told Mark Davis before I took the job. And that, that's my mantra. I wonder who's getting tired of Mike Mayock saying that. I think Derek Carr is the one who's getting tired of Mike Mayock saying it. He's merely articulating a standard that applies At every level of football, every football team is trying to get better. And if there's a better option at any position, you do what you can to get that option in position to help you win. It is that simple. And the Raiders clearly looking for an upgrade over Derek Carr, whether that's Tom Brady, whether that's someone else. This is the year to go shopping for veteran quarterback options because there will be plenty of them. One of them may be Jameis Winston, the starter for the last five years in Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers at best ambivalent on whether or not they want to bring Jameis Winston back for another season. And Bruce Arians making the rounds yesterday. And there's different contexts in which these coaches speak. There's the podium, which is recorded video, audio, and we can play it for you. Then there's the stuff they say off to the side with reporters. And that's what Bruce Arians said yesterday that was very, very interesting. He acknowledges the reality that dominoes will begin to fall and other guys will be available, and you have to ultimately pull the trigger on a quarterback. Well, Arians took it a step farther, and this comes courtesy of Greg Allman of TheAthletic.com, 
when Arians was specifically asked if there are quarterbacks out there he would pick up the phone to call in free agency. And Arians, despite the tampering rules that never get enforced except when they are blatantly violated, said Tom Brady in response to that question. And Phillip Rivers is another guy. We'll see. Now, look, it's unclear whether anything's going to come of it. Again, the NFL rarely enforces the tampering rules because everyone violates them. But there is a discretion that coaches and general managers exercise in that regard. And this is the closest we've seen yet to a violation of the tampering rules. And I'm surprised there haven't been more of them with so many big-name quarterbacks available in free agency, including a guy like Tom Brady, who will be the most coveted available free agent. We've got our top 100 list of all free agents at ProFootballTalk.com. Dak Prescott, number one, he's not going to be available, barring something incredibly unexpected. Drew Brees, number two, he's not going to be available because he's going to re-sign with the Saints. Tom Brady, number three, he is available. And the thing I keep coming back to, the reality that there will be a team out there that makes a financial offer to Tom Brady that is driven by business, not football. Football considerations, there's going to be a value you put on Tom Brady because you have to have enough money left over to otherwise staff your roster with guys who can help you pursue a championship. That's going to be the analysis Bill Belichick engages in when it's time for the Patriots to put that number on Tom Brady. For other teams, it's not going to be about football. That's why so many guys get overpaid right out of the gates in free agency. Every year, the list goes on and on. There's always that guy that we say, why in the hell did he get so much money? Well, one of the reasons he got so much money is he was available on the open market. That's why teams use the franchise tag and the transition tag to restrict guys from getting to the open market. But the dynamics of the open market on the first day of free agency is that a team becomes relevant. A team becomes competitive. A team takes tension away from other teams in its market that play other sports. It's like, hey, here we are. Don't forget about us. We're still here. We're going to play football this fall, and you can buy your season tickets now because we have Tom Brady. And you think of the names in the past that teams think may move the needle for the purposes of trying to get people to buy tickets and jerseys and hats. Tom Brady is the ultimate. Tom Brady's still one of the highest-selling jerseys in the NFL, even though anyone that's ever wanted one surely has one or two or three of them. He's been around for 20 years. You put Tom Brady in a new Raiders jersey, a new Chargers jersey, a new Titans jersey, a new whoever jersey, it's going to be the number one selling jersey in the NFL instantly, and it's going to be a huge, huge story. And when you consider it from that perspective, what you will pay someone for business reasons versus what you will pay someone for football reasons, it's a no-brainer. Someone is going to offer him far more than the Patriots can or will pay. And I think more and more people are starting to come to terms with the reality that on or about March 18, Tom Brady is going to be holding up a jersey that doesn't carry the colors and the logos of the New England Patriots. We'll be back with plenty more Pro Football Talk Live right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.